So Kapila Dev is continuing his teachings on Sankhya philosophy. Um, and it's, uh, Srila Prabhupada will often in the translations, he'll say devotional service and a devotee and things like that. Kapila's, uh, Dev is talking about Sankhya, but Sankhya of course is in relationship with Bhakti. And this we find out in chapter 2, verse 39 of the Bhagavad Gita, right? Anyone can find verse uh, 239? You have it on your phone? Okay, when you find it, let me know. But that's, but that's uh, it's good in the context because a lot of the, the verses... Um, are somewhat connected to Sankhya, and thank you, Govinda, and um, uh, Super Soul Realization. But he is connecting it with Bhakti, and of course, Srila Prabhupada is fully connecting it to Bhakti, because Sankhya does lead to Bhakti. You got it there? Okay, I have it on my phone also. No, chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita. You don't have Bhagavad Gita? You're a terrible person. Chapter 2, verse 39. I got it here. Here we go. Thus far, I have described this knowledge to you through analytical study. Now listen as I explain it in terms of working without fruit of results. So um, he's saying that, I, I, uh, here, according, in the purport, according to the Nirukti or the Vedic dictionary, Sankhya means that which describes things in detail. And Sankhya refers to that philosophy which describes the real nature of the soul. And then Prabhupada goes on to say how they, uh, they, they reach the same goal. Mm -hmm. So, let's begin with, uh, oh, <laughs> let's begin with chapter, with uh, the Bhagavatam. I have to get it here on my computer real quick. Um, and we are on chapter 27. Okay. The Supreme Personality, the Personality of God at Kapila continued. When the living entity is thus unaffected by the modes of material nature, because he is unchanging and does not claim proprietorship, he remains apart from the reactions of the modes. Although abiding in a material body, just as the sun remains aloof from its reflection on water. And Prabhupada writes in the purport about two or three sentences down in the first paragraph, a person who is detached from the modes of material nature remains just like the sun reflected on water. Okay, so just like the sun is reflected right now on the uh, floor over there near the door, right? Is the, is the sun affected by that? in any way, <laughs> right? The, the, the floor gets warmer, but the sun has no connection, right? The sun's whatever, however millions of miles away, right? It's not affected at all that it's, uh, that it's in the room here, right? So when the sun is reflected on water, the movement of the water or the coolness or unsteadiness of the water cannot affect the sun, right? Because the sun's very hot. Water can be very cooling, but the, the, the cooling water doesn't affect the sun. 
Similarly, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita, a very famous verse from the second uh, chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam. When one engages fully in the activities of devotional service, Bhakti Yoga, he becomes just like the sun reflected on water. Nice analogy, right? Nice metaphor, right? Just like the sun's not affected, the devotee's not affected by the goings and comings of this world when they're absorbed, or when, when we're absorbed in devotional service. Although a devotee appears to be in the material world, actually he is in the transcendental world. As the reflection of the sun appears to be on the water, but is many millions of miles away from the water, so one engaged in the bhakti yoga process is nirguna, or unaffected by the qualities of material nature. So that's, as we've often discussed, it's, it's a spectrum. It's not either you are or you're not, right? It's a spectrum of to what extent are we um, free from the modes of material nature or putting it in a positive sense, absorbed in bhakti, absorbed in devotional service. And to that extent, we are like the sun, which is not affected by being reflected in water to that extent. So our goal is to keep moving the the indicator over towards that uh, fully absorbed in bhakti where we are you know and it's not it's a challenge in this world to be like that because of so many distractions and so many duties that we have to perform while still living in the world then if we go if any thoughts on that on the, this example yeah do, do we have a second mic oh. we're down one mic today we're down two mics? Acha. Okay. Someone on, yeah. Your bee bag is on the floor. That's not oh, a good yeah. idea. <laughs> uh, they give the word... Uh, Use the mic. They give the word avakara, means without change. Right. <clears throat> in, that, in that same purport. And, uh, okay, yes. Yeah, without change. And he often says, like, being anchored. You're, you're anchored in your... Uh, if you have pure devotional service, then you become anchored in your uh, appreciation of Krishna, and then mm -hmm. nothing will move you, even even right. though you're, the material world is all around you, you're up to your eyeballs in the material world. Up to world. your eyeballs, yes. <laughs> but it doesn't affect you, yes. if, you're, if you're really anchored. Yes. So let's read that. Avikara means without change. It is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita that each and every living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. So we've talked about that. What does part and parcel mean? It has a very specific meaning, actually. Yes, Jiva? You don't have a mic either. <laughs> the, uh, it's like the baker being bereft of bread. Hare Krishna. Part is because we are Amsha of Lord Krishna, so we are coming from, like, you know, we are not the whole, we are, you know, right. minuscule. Parcel means we are still complete unit to perform, you know, the activity that Krishna right. desires us to engage in. Yes, a complete unit, but the good word to say is a separated complete unit. Yes. Parcel. So we're simultaneously one with part and different from parcel. Uh, and the, the Sanskrit for that is? Chivira Sarupaya Krishna Nityadas. Krishna 
Yeah, that was one of that's a nice verse also. Achinta beda abeda tatva. That's why it comes in this particular verse. Kishnera tatashta shakti beda abeda prakash. Ah, right, right. Beda So it's like a tatashta shakti and it's beda beda. Right. Very good. So we are part and parcel of the Supreme Lord, and thus uh, his eternal position is to cooperate or to dovetail his energy with the Supreme Lord. That is his unchanging position, avikara. Um, let's keep going, though. As soon as he employs his energy and activities for sense gratification, this change of position is called vikara. And vikara has also, vikar, vikara, has a, a specific meaning also in other places in our literature, right? It, it usually refers to the six vikaras, transformations, like birth, growth, existing for some time, producing offspring, spring, dwindling, and kattam hogya, when finished, right? So that's also the, so that, so we don't, so the, again, the devotee, at least after this life, doesn't undergo those, he becomes, or she becomes avikara, this goes back to the spiritual world. Yeah, yeah, she asked some great questions. Yeah, yes, she's brilliant questions. So, um, okay, so then skipping a little bit. When one becomes detached from material attraction and engages fully in devotional service, that is changelessness. Akartriptvat means not doing anything for sense gratification. When one does something at his own, and this is a nice way of um, defining sense gratification. I really like this. When we do something at our own risk, right? Like, you know, there's a sign up, don't, do not swim, swimmers, there's no lifeguard on duty. Swim at your own risk, right? Something happens to you, you can't blame us, <laughs> right? So when we engage in activities other than Krishna consciousness, we do that at our own risk. It's a really nice, because sometimes sense gratification, you know, when we hear, at least for me, I, maybe because I joined Krishna Consciousness in the 70s, and uh, when we heard that word sense gratification, it was kind of like this gritting teeth, you know, such nonsense, right? <laughs> that kind of mood about sense gratification. Um, but here I like this definition that we, sense gratification is doing things at our own risk. There is a sense, because why? There is a sense of proprietorship. That I'm, you know, what is pr proprietorship is in uh, which mode of material nature? Passion, yeah. And we're, we're thinking, you know, janasya moho yam aham mameti. We're thinking aham means I, and mameti means mine. I am this body, and I am American, I am Indian, I am this and that. And these things are mine. So that, that mood of I and mine. What's going on over there? Everyone's looking at the screen? Okay. <laughs> um, so sense of proprietorship and therefore a reaction. But when one does everything for Krishna, there is no proprietorship over his activity. So proprietorship is not just, you know, owning a cell phone, right? It's the idea that I, uh, I can... I can choose, which we can, I can choose the activities that I perform, um, and, I can, and, I can, and, the, and the basis of that 
activity is based ultimately on my false identity, the I in I and mine. So the mind can also be our activities, not just, you know, the, the normal thing we think of house, wife, children, you know, or, you know that, that, that list, but also just um, thinking in terms of proprietorship over our activities. So Krishna doesn't, like, we do have some proprietorship over our activities also as devotees, right? You know, you could, you could come here for this class or you could chant extra rounds at home or you could you know, see if you can get on the altar and do deity worship if you're second initiated. We have choice within, but the, but the uh, esoteric's the wrong word. The, the, um, the, what is the word I'm looking for? Anyway, the, ultimate, the, the basic choice is whether to serve Krishna or not. Right? Existential, that was the word I was looking for, existential choice. Right? Then we have, we have choice, when we, serve, when we don't serve Krishna, we have choice of the stuff we do, and when we do serve Krishna, we have choice of the activities. Uh, when one does everything for Krishna, there's no proprietorship over the activities. They're all arpanam, they're all offered to God. By changelessness and by not claiming the proprietorship activities, one can immediately situate himself in the transcendental position in which one is not touched by the modes of material nature just as the reflection of the sun is unaffected by water. So this is uh, something that we can actually practice um, in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, notice, try to notice which modes of material nature are affecting us during different times of the day when we're not, let's say, focused on Krishna. Which mode is it or which combination of the modes? Like that? If it's sattvic, not so bad. If it's rajarsic, you feel it. You can even feel it in your, not only in your mind, but also you feel it in your body sometimes. Right? Like, like tamasic is anger. So don't you feel anger in your body, right? Your fist clenches, your whatever, your teeth grit. So we, can, so we can try to, it's hard when you're in the modes to be philosophical. <laughs> but if we can take a little step back and think, hmm. I'm not thinking of Krishna right now, so it's not transcendent. So therefore, it has to be one of the modes. Which mode is affecting me right now? We can become a, we can, and we can become cognizant of that, and then we develop the practice of trying to transcend those modes, or at least switch over to the mode of goodness. Right. I caught myself that I was on a conference call this morning, and I, was, and I was really trying to get my point across, and it wasn't in a sattvic way. I could tell, you know, I was kind of like, you know, I knew there was someone else on the call who didn't agree with me, so I was kind of like enjoying making him upset. <laughs> so, so then I realized that is not the mode of goodness. <laughs> so then I took a deep breath and I said, okay, and then I said a little later in the call, forget about those other things I said, this is what I'm thinking now. And then I tried to be a little bit more sattvic. <laughs> so we can, we can observe ourselves and observe the modes as they're acting in our lives. Any thoughts on that? Yes. Um, this particular paragraph in the purport reminds me of the uh, verse 47 from chapter 2, Karmanye Vadikaraste. Yeah, it's very so, connected. Yes, it's where Krishna talks about. What is it? Tell, tell the devotees what that means, Karmanye Vadikaraste. Um, we have a right to perform our duties or work, mm -hmm. but not the fruits of the 
the work. We should not be attached to And I also adds that never consider yourself the cause of the results of the action and never be attached to not doing your prescribed duty. Right. So, um, basically, like the purport, that, that paragraph that Prabhupada is talking about is talking the essence of this main verse where I, ca I do an activity and I consider myself the proprietor of the result of the activity because I did the activity. And when I do an activity with an expectation of a certain result, then I become the cause of that <laughs> result. So Krishna basically cautions, raises a red flag saying, don't get into that mode, just do your duty and leave the results, whatever it is, just mm -hmm. so be detached being a controller or a creator or a proprietor. Yes. So we want to get into it a little bit more. Doing one's duty is, uh, there's conditional duty and constitutional duty that's mentioned in Srila Prabhupada's purports. So the constitutional duty is, is transcendental, to, transcendental to the modes. The conditional duty may be within the modes, therefore we should choose the mode of goodness. So devotees generally act in the mode of goodness, which means being thoughtful, being clean, being considerate, being kind-hearted, etc. Like that. Anything else? Okay. Yeah? No? Maybe? Okay, so then we're moving on to verse number two. When the soul is under the spell, the spell, think of like, you know, Harry Potter, right? <laughs> under the spell of material modes, uh, of material nature and false ego. So there's two different spells, goodness, passion, and ignorance, and our false conception of who we think we are. Identifying his body as the self, he becomes absorbed in material activities. And by the influence of false ego, he thinks that he is the proprietor of everything. The conditioned soul therefore transmigrates into different species of life, higher and lower, because of his association with the modes of material nature. Unless he is relieved of material activities, he has to accept this position because of his faulty work. I'm going to actually use this verse in the Sunday open house class today. <laughs> um, so Prabhupada's purport. Here, the word karma doshai. Doshai means? Fault. I thought it was like a South Indian. Oh, that's dosa. Oh, okay. I mean, a burnt dosha is doshai. <laughs> Here the word karma doshai means by faulty actions. This verse, uh, this refers to any activity. Now listen, to this is, this is that uh, good or bad performed in this material world. They are all contaminated faulty actions because of material association. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a degrade, uh, uh, there's a distinction between goodness, passion, and ignorance. Right? I told you that there was that one great Acharya who said, I pray for the day my disciples rise to the mode of passion. Right? <laughs> but even passionate activities, well, even good activities are still in the material world. The foolish conditioned soul may think that he is offering charity by opening hospitals for material benefit or by opening an educational institution for material education, but he does not know that all such work is also faulty 
because it will not give him relief from the process of transmigration from one body to another. So this was, Prabhupada really shocked the world, especially, uh, especially I think in India, when he would say things like this. People thought they were doing such good activities, opening up a hospital or, or opening up a school for underprivileged children and all that. And he would say that, that that's okay, you're doing that, but it's so many zeros. Now, if you put a one in front of it, just like we have a Bhaktivedanta hospital, how many people have been to Bhaktivedanta hospital? I'm the only one? It's a very cool, if, if I ever get sick, Hare Krishna, uh, I mean, we all get sick, right? Uh, it's a good place to get sick. First of all, you walk in, the first thing you see is Prabhupada's Murti, surrounded by Tulsis. And then there's Kirtan playing all the time over the loudspeaker. <laughs> and almost all the, not all of them, but most of the doctors are devotees. Matter of fact, and much of the uh, clientele is, 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 is Muslims, actually, that area in uh, Merit Road, uh, Mira Road if you're familiar with uh, Mumbai at all. <clears throat> um, and, and all the food offered there is, uh, to the uh, visitors and these patients is prashadam. You know, so so they, they put a one in front of all the zeros. Right? So, but, but just doing mun, mundane, just doing charity not connected to Krishna is, he's saying, mundane. Strong thing because people are very proud of their philanthropic activities. Okay. Um, it is clearly stated here, Sad Asan Mishra Yonishu. This means that one may take birth in a very high family, or he may take his birth in higher planets among the demigods for his so-called pious activities in the material world. <laughs> the key word there is so-called. Right. So here Prabhupada is speaking very strongly about transcendence. But this work is also faulty because it does not give liberation. That's the point. We want people to be spiritually benefited. So if the benefit is temporary, it, you know, it, okay, it's, you, know, you may get, take birth in a higher planet, but it's still, it's, it, Prabhupada, is it here? No, it's uh, in the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. I, I prepare for Bhagavad Gita class, and Bhagavad, so sometimes I forget which one was which. But in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Srila Prabhupada compares this piety and impiety to a Ferris wheel. How many of you have been on a Ferris wheel? A few more. Okay, it's no fun when you're stuck on the top and they're letting people off on the bottom. But anyway, uh, well, maybe if you like the view of whatever. But sometimes if you get a little nervous, it's not fun. So... We're on this Ferris wheel, sometimes up and sometimes down in this world, but we're still on the Ferris wheel, even when we're in Brahmaloka or, you know, Tapaloka. To take birth in a nice place or a high family does not mean that one avoids undergoing the material tribulations, the pangs of birth, death, old age, and disease. So uh, I was just reading recently that um, Montgomery County, the... the uh, price of housing is actually going down a little bit, except in Potomac. <laughs> right? So do you think people, you know, surrounding our temples, some nice people and all, but are they, be, are they free from the pangs of birth, death, disease, and old age? Now, even if they have a higher birth or they have some financial security, right? A conditioned soul under the spell of material nature cannot understand that any action he performs for sense gratification is faulty. 
and that only his activities in devotional service to the Lord can give him release from the reaction of faulty activities. Because he does, so Prabhupada really picked up on this word faulty throughout the whole uh, purport. Because he does not see such faulty activities, he has to change to different bodies, some high and some low. That is called sangsara padavim, which means this material world from which there is no release. One who desires material liberation has to turn his activities to devotional service. There is no alternative. So we're on the Ferris wheel. And we're caught. Uh, the, the, the Sunday open house today is about eternity. And I don't know if I'm going to bring it up, because you, know, you don't need to bring up... Uh, sometimes if you bring up kind of technical, philosophical points in the Sunday open house class, the, the essence of what you're trying to get across is, could be lost. So I, I, I was thinking I won't bring it up, but for this group, is an advanced group. Um, so eternity is seen in philosophy, not, not Shastra, but in philosophy in general in two different ways. Um, anyone? No? Two different ways eternity is viewed? One is timelessness, right? And one is just everlasting time. You see, there's a, diff there's a subtle difference. So my understanding, and the other reason I, uh, I, I don't want to speculate, but my understanding is that timelessness is there in the spiritual world. Right? We, we even, in many places, Prabhupada will say this, the, the time is conspicuous by its absence. But the material world is also called eternal sometimes, right? Because there's always, whether it's manifest or unmanifest. So that seems to be almost more like time that just keeps on continuing. But anyway, um, we're stuck here until we get off the, um, what is the hamster's... Uh, Wheel, you know, what's that? It's called a Hampshire wheel? Okay, thank you very much. We have a scholar here, yes. So, but we're just like the hamster going, you know, round and round and round in different species of life. Um, and we're forgetting that we actually had past lives. And it's unbelievable how many past lives we've had because we're so focused on the here and now. Any thoughts on this? Okay, so then we'll move on. Text four, and um, actually a living entity is transcendental to material existence, but because of his mentality of lording it over material nature, his material existential condition does not cease. And just as in a dream, he is affected by all sorts of disadvantages. So we're just living a bad dream right now. And it's our choice when and if we want to wake up. It is the duty of every conditioned soul to engage his polluted consciousness, which is now attached to material enjoyment in very serious fruitive activities. Oh, I'm just seeing if anyone, seeing if anyone is awake. <laughs> At least Jiva Tattva Prabhu is awake. <laughs> In very serious devotional service with detachment. Thus his mind and consciousness will be under full control. Hmm. Very serious devotional service with detachment. 
Text 6. One has to become faithful by practicing the controlling process of the yoga system. So there you can see we're talking about Sankhya here. And must elevate himself to the platform of unalloyed devotional service. And this is the bhakti part. By matkata shavanena cha. By chanting and hearing about me. And of course we know, um, we hear again and again and again about the importance of hearing and chanting about Krishna. Text 7. In executing devotional service, one has to see every living entity equally. Without enmity. What does enmity mean? Bad feelings, yeah. Yes. We should. What does it mean, young man? He knows everything. Uh, without enmity towards anyone, yet without intimate connections with anyone. And then, of course, that anyone means those who uh, uh, don't ha aren't theistic in, in consciousness. Aren't, you know. One has to observe celibacy. And, of course, this is, again, the sankhya that leads to bhakti. Uh, be grave and execute his external activities, offering the results to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, um, and Prabhupada writes that a devotee should not speak needlessly. A serious devotee has no time to speak of nonsense. He is always busy in Krishna consciousness. Whenever he speaks, he speaks about Krishna. Mona means silence. Silence does not mean that one should not speak at all, but that he should not speak of nonsense. He should be very enthusiastic in speaking about Krishna. So, continuing? Unless anyone has some non-nonsense to ask. <laughs> For his income, a devotee should be satisfied with what he earns without great difficulty. He should not eat more than what is necessary. He should live in a secluded place and always be thoughtful, peaceful, friendly, compassionate, and self-realized. So again, when we look at something like this, we want to at least take the essence, right? The essence is, right, that obviously a devotee uh, or a Sankhya yogi becoming a devotee or, you know, and in the purports, Prabhupada's all relating it to devotees. We don't want to have distractions, right? And we don't want to, uh, yeah, we, Vyava Satyap Mika Budhir Ekeha, right? That a devotee is single-minded in their, in their trying to, you know, approach Krishna. So, they, so these things are all distractions, right? Not, not observing celibacy, seeing people as friends and enemies, um, working just all day and night for a livelihood, um, eating eight meals a day, trying to outdo Krishna. He has six. We have eight. Right? Living you know, right in the middle of the city. Right? These are all things that can possibly distract us. Hmm? Uh, and that's, that's the... Essential point here, because you know, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur Prabhupada, he established temples right, he's wanted it in the busiest places, right? Not because he wanted the devotees to fall down, but because of uh, wanting to give as many people as possible a chance to hear about Krishna. So I, I, I'm a little envious of the devotees that live on this property because they live in. Almost, almost a rural or you know a setting with cows and twelve acres of land and a forest and all that. But they're only twenty-five minutes from the White House, 
So it has, it, they kind of have the best of both worlds, isn't it, like that? Um, but the, that's the idea, is to um, avoid being, uh, avoid distractions, right? So we can, again, we can look at our lives and see how we're doing in this regards and see if we can improve in, in any of these different categories. Any thoughts on that? Yes, and then one, two. Yeah, I just thought the purport um, said something I was very interested in, because um, karmic law is often left pretty vague, uh, what, how it actually works. But he actually says in there, I can't say the word, the exact word used in this connection, yadrichaya or something, means that every living entity has a predestined happiness and distress in this present body. This is called the law of karma. Right, there you so go. That means because I'd often struggle with that and wonder, is, there, is happiness even a real thing? We, we fight our whole lives for happiness. He's saying it's preset. It, yes. You're fighting against something that's, <laughs> for you... It, it's it a hard be. one to grasp because everyone's looking for, you know, trying to, you know, the mind is accepting and rejecting according to what we think will bring us happiness. Right, so when you go around and tell somebody, this uh, ultimately comes from, well, it comes from many places, but Prahlad Maharaj is the one who's most famously quoted, right? about this point, right? Um, that it's, pre, it's predestined. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have choice in this world, because our you know, the example we always give is the airplane, right? You're, you're flying in the airplane, and that's predestined to go to Chicago or wherever the plane is going to, but you have choice during that trip what you're going to do in the airplane. So we, there's this combination of predestination and um, at the same time, we're not predestined how much we develop our love for Krishna. So there we have real choice. And therefore, the devotee endeavors a lot in, in their devotional endeavors. But yes, it's a good point. Jiva Thapurbu, uh, we're going to have to pass the microphone way back. The microphone is for use. Hare Krishna. <laughs> so it reminds me of uh, 16th chapter was 13 through 15. I just put it, casted it over there. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a demonic person, he thinks that I've acquired so much wealth, I'll gain more with my schemes, this is mine now, I'll increase in the future. More and more, he is my enemy and I have killed him and so and so. Goes on making a mameti, like you explained earlier. Right. So kind of like reminds yes. me. Srila Prabhupada is really like, and in this case, Kapil Dev, is identifying that faulty behavior mm -hmm. of a conditioned soul. Yes. So what we do is we take this philosophy, you know, these points, and then we try to apply them practically in our life. Right? You know, they may differ at different times in our life. Right? Uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine who's now um, a GS-15, so I guess he make about $155,000 a year, something like that. But he was telling me about how he's, he's probably about 45 years old, something like that. Um, but he told me about how, you know, when he first got out of college, he had all these college loans and this and that, and he was eating M&Ms and Raymond noodles. <laughs> that was his sustenance. Now his wife is a PhD, and, you know, they, they have... So, you know, at different times of our life, we may, for example, the hard work may be different, right? Or as uh, people living in America, we might consider, okay, we're about working hard now, but if I get a pension and Social Security, then 
you know, when I turn such and such age, I can focus completely on Krishna consciousness, or I can live in Vrindavan, or, you know. So you make practical uh, considerations, applying the principles that we read in the Shastra, and then applying them practically in our lives. And that may differ according to our, to our karma, and to the country we live in, and, and so many different things. Yes? No? Okay. Right? I'm sure some of you are thinking, okay, now if I get Social Security and a pension, and I move back to India, 65 rupees per dollar, that's a pretty good, I could probably live okay, you know, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking like that. I have a house in Vrindavan, you know. <laughs> Confirmed. Um, what verse are we on now? Nine. One seeing power should be increased through knowledge of spirit and matter. And one should not unnecessarily identify himself with the body and thus become attracted by bodily relations. One should be situated in the transcendental position beyond the stages of material consciousness and should be aloof from all other conceptions of life. Thus, realizing freedom from false ego, one should see his own self just as he sees the sun in the sky. Can you imagine if we, under, we could understand that we're a soul? It's as clear as just going outside right now and seeing the sun. So text 11. A liberated soul realizes the absolute personality of Godhead who is transcendental and who is manifested as, this is a little tricky, but as a reflection even in the false ego. He is the support of the material cause, and he enters into everything. He is absolute, one without a second, and he is the eyes of the illusory energy. And Prabhupada explains that a little bit in the beginning of the purport. A pure devotee can see the presence of the Supreme Personality of God in everything materially manifested. Wouldn't that be nice? He is present there only as a reflection but a pure devotee can realize that in the darkness of material illusion, the only light is the Supreme Lord who is its support. So we can see it, even though it's, a, um, so you see the reflection that you see, this is Krishna's energy, and therefore you understand behind the energy is Krishna. So a little bit more, and then we'll go to text 13. The presence of the Supreme Lord can be realized just as the sun is realized first as a reflection on water and again as a second reflection on the wall of a room, although the sun itself is situated in the sky. The self-realized soul is thus reflected first in the threefold ego and then in the body, senses, and mind. So let's understand this reflection thing in this purport, in the second paragraph. By the understanding of the pure soul, called Satya Drik. One can see everything as a reflection of the Supreme Personality of God. So you see everything as or a reflection, or we sometimes say an energy of the Supreme Lord. Right? There's this verse, Parashya Shaktir Vividhaya Suyate, that there's, in one sense there's only two things in this world. There's God and his energies. We're one of the energies. What's, what are we called? Tatasta Shakti. Right? Uh, and then there's the internal energy, which is divided into three, uh, Ladini, Samvit, and Sandini, and then there's the external energy. 
They're sometimes described differently, sometimes 16 different areas, but that's the basic point. A conditioned soul, so now here's a concrete example of understanding this idea of a reflection. A conditioned soul sees a very beautiful rose, and he thinks that the nice aromatic flower should be used for his own sense gratification. This is one kind of vision. Right? Most people see it like, oh, it smells nice, or I can offer it to my, 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 my uh, spouse or whatever. A liberated soul, however, sees the same flower as a reflection of the Supreme Lord. He thinks, this beautiful flower is made possible by the superior energy of the Supreme Lord, because the soul is inside the flower, right? Superior. Therefore, it belongs to the Supreme Lord, and it should be utilized in his service. Right? So if you go to a beautiful garden, you know, don't, do, don't steal the flowers, by the way. That's, we did those in the 70s. Uh, but, but a devotee thinks, oh, it would be so nice to offer these flowers to Krishna, right? Wouldn't it? We could you know, just imagine, we imagine like that, whereas other people, you know, right? they just go and smell all the flowers. Right, for their, um, it's just like when they have the uh, Pushpa Abhishek in uh, Chopadi Temple. They, um, they have so many flowers, right? The deities are like up to here with the flowers. And one thing they do is, because I, I, I noticed this, I was living in Brindavan at the time, is the flowers in Brindavan, the roses especially, are really aromatic. They're not so beautiful to the eyes, but to the, the sense of smell, they're unbelievable. So they would, take, they would get trunks and trunks of flowers uh, in the morning from Brindavan, then rush the car off to... Uh, the airport in New Delhi, and then fly them to Mumbai so that they could offer them to uh, Radha Gopinath in the evening. <laughs> and super aromatic flowers. So that's what that's right. Isn't that what we think when we're you know you go into a Safeway and you see the flowers? Hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to offer all those to Radha Madan Mohan, right? <laughs> like that. <clears throat> so these are two kinds of vision. The conditioned soul sees the flower for his own enjoyment, and the devotee sees the flower as an object to be used in the service of the Lord. In the same way, one can see the reflection of the Supreme Lord in one's own senses, mind, and body. In other words, senses, mind, and body should also be used for Christian service. With that correct vision, one can engage everything in the service of the Lord. It is stated in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that one who has engaged everything the vital energy, his wealth, his intelligence, and his words uh, in the service of the Lord, and who desires to engage all these in the service of the Lord, no matter how he is situated, is to be considered liberated. Does anyone know that verse? Iha yasya harer dasye karmana manasagira nikila vasyavastasu jivan mukta sauchite. That one is jivan mukta, one is liberated when one uses iha yasya harer dasye, everything in Krishna's service. Uh, karmana, manasagira, one's work, manasa, one's mind, one's activities, sub, everything in, in Krishna's service. So I don't know if you can go into a Safeway and just offer all the flowers to Krishna in your mind. I told you we used to do, I told you we used to do that when I was a brahmachari with uh, the vegetables and, and the giants and Safeways to take our brahman threads and just offer all the vegetables, tell Krishna to skip the onions and, you know, <laughs> and don't have the potatoes, they're not cooked yet, but, you know, <laughs> all the fruit and everything. 
So this is, uh, this is the vision of a devotee. They want to offer everything uh, to Krishna. Some thoughts on that? This reminds me of the uh, verse Brahma's prayers to Lord Krishna, where he says, Tane stita srutigatam tano van mano bir. So basically he says the saying like, remember the Supreme Lord always and glorify the Supreme Lord with one's mind, body and words and be situated in your position and always glorify the Supreme Lord. Right. Yes. Hey, that, ver that verse is often like, uh, is it Prabhupada or is it Lord Chaitanya? Don't be a foolish person. Stay in your position and just hear about Krishna. You, know, you don't have to run off and take sannyas. You're going to take sannyas soon? Don't do it. Yeah, just we can stay in our situation and and remember and hear about Krishna, and anyone can do that in any situation. Anything else on this? Okay. Although a devotee appears to be merged in the five material elements, the objects of material enjoyment, the material senses, and material mind and intelligence, he is understood to be awake and to be freed from the false ego. And this, uh, in the purport, the very beginning, Prabhupada is basically paraphrasing again that verse. Uh, from the from, uh, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Yeah. So when everything is used, Brahmartanam Brahmahavir, Brahmagno Brahmanahutam, Brahmagn, Brahmain, chapter 4, verse 24 of the Bhagavad Gita. That, what's that? What are the last two lines? Yeah, Brahma Karma Sabhavana, Sabhavita, the last line. Karma. Anyway, the idea is that if we use our body, we use our mind, we use our intelligence. Yeah, that verse. Brahmarpanam Brahmahavir Brahmagno Brahmanahutam Brahmaiva Tenagantavya Brahmakarma Sabhavdina. Samadina. I better put on my glasses. Samadina. And what is it? This translation? A person who is fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness is sure to attain the spiritual kingdom because of his full contribution to spiritual activities in which the consummation is absolute and that which is offered is of the same spiritual nature. So everything becomes spiritualized when you offer things to Krishna. So we just want to get in the mood of offering Krishna our love, our, our just everything for his pleasure. And then you don't have to worry about sense gratification, this, that, because you're, you're experiencing something much more enjoyable. And then the world, the, the world of this world becomes pale in comparison to bhakti, to, to devotion. Text 15. Just speak up if you want to say something, otherwise I'm, my head is down and we're going on, because we have a short, only a few more minutes. But that's all fine, fine if you have questions or comments. The living entity can vividly feel his existence as a seer, but because of the disappearance of the ego during the state of deep sleep, he falsely takes himself to be lost, like a man who has lost his fortune and feels distressed, thinking himself to be lost. And there's a description of the three stages of consciousness, awakefulness, sleep, and deep sleep in the purport. When by mature understanding, one can realize his individuality, then the situation he accepts under false ego becomes manifest to him. And Prabhupada in the purport talks about Mayavad philosophy and that um, 
that this verse says are, we are individuals and we remain individuals. Krishna says, never was there a time that I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings. This is also in the class today, um, open house class. Um, and so he says, I am Krishna, you're Arjuna, these are all kings in the past. Right now I'm Krishna, you're Arjuna, and these are all, you know, they're all spirits, they're all alive now. And in the future, we're all going to exist individually. We don't merge into God. We are eternal servants of God. Prabhupada makes that point very clearly in the purport. Now, Devahuti, super intelligent questions. Asked these amazing questions. I, I was reading this last night and I said, whoa, those are really good questions. Devahuti inquired, my dear Brahmana, does material nature ever give release to the spirit soul? <laughs> Since one is attracted to the other eternally, it seems eternally, right? How is their separation possible? Are there, as there is no separate existence of the earth and its aroma or the water and its taste, there cannot be any separate existence of intelligence and consciousness. In other words, our material consciousness seems totally connected to who we are. Our, no, I'm our, our, sorry. Our, our, our conditioned material intelligence seems to be one with our consciousness. So we're just always in Maya, just as the uh, water and its taste can't be separated. So it just seems like we're stuck. Hence, even though it is the passive performer of all activities, how can there be freedom for the soul as long as material nature acts on him and binds him? Even if the great fear of bondage is avoided by mental speculation, by Gan, and inquiry into the fundamental principles, it may still appear again since its cause has not ceased. So this is, what a great, what a great point that is, that's right. And we hear about this in the, in the nectar of instruction, right? That the, uh, the elephant takes a nice bath and then goes on and then throws, and rolls in the dirt afterwards, right? Or throws dirt on. So um, we, we may be free from our, um, we may understand we're not this body, we may understand that we're a soul, we may take to spiritual practices, but if we don't take to bhakti, the bhakti is what gets at the root of our existence, of material existence, our envy of God, right? It completely gets at the root, whereas other things can, uh, it's kind of like, um, have you ever, Jai Sisi Gornitai Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman Shishi Radhamadan Mohan, Right? It's just like if you, if, you, if you cut the grass, you have so many weeds, and you just cut the grass, do the weeds come back? Of course, you didn't cut, you know. The only thing you can do is you have, to, you have to go out there, and it's a lot of work, it hurts your back, and you're out there on your hands and knees, get, you know, taking out the, uh, the, the root of the weed. So similarly, the only thing that cuts at the very root of our material existence is, is bhakti because it is cutting at the root of why we're here. We have, we want, um, icha dvesha samutena dvandva mohena bharata. That we have the icha, we have this desire, I want to be the supreme, and we have this dvesh, this envy. Who does he think he is? Yeah, why, why Krishna? Why not me? Right? 
so bhakti, so that's her point here, right? She's saying that mental speculation, um, it doesn't, it, the cause has not ceased. So let's hear the purport and then we'll probably end for the day. Yes. Material bondage is caused by putting oneself under the control of matter because of the false ego of lording it over material nature. This material nature is for me to enjoy. That's what lording it over means. It's all for me. And Bhagavad Gita says, oh, here's that verse. Two kinds of propensities arise in the living entity. One propensity is icha, which means desire to lord it over material nature or to be as great as the Supreme Lord. Everyone desires to be the greatest personality in this material world. Dvesha means envy. When one becomes envious of Krishna or the Supreme Personality of Godhead, one thinks, why should Krishna be the all in all? I'm as good as Krishna. These two items, uh, desire to be the Lord and envy of the Lord, are the beginning cause, the beginning cause of material bondage. As long as a philosopher, a jnani, salvationist, a yogi, or voidist, an uh, impersonalist, has some desire to be supreme, to be everything, or to deny the existence of God, the cause remains, and there is no question of his liberation. So that's so we're, when we're doing devotional service, we're, we're really engaged in a very, um, you could say scientific, that's a word that's coming to my mind right now, process. We're, we're, we're cutting out, we're working, we're in the process of cutting out the root of why we're in this wheel of samsara, why we're on this hamster wheel. We're, 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 we're exiting the highway <laughs> of the material world. Right? We're getting on the exit ramp, so to speak. Yeah. So it, it has, a, it's a, there, the, the practices of hearing and chanting and dancing in front of the Lord, and all, they have a very deep philosophical basis uh, behind them. It's not, uh, and Lord Chaitanya had to face this when he was in Benares. The, the sannyasis, the Mayavad sannyasis, they were saying, why are you, you should be studying Vedanta, why are you doing this hearing, dancing and st stuff? And uh, Lord Chaitanya, you know, he, and that, so that's, that, that can be understood. Well, spiritual life is supposed to be really, you know, om and just, you know, but uh, actual, uh, it's the activity of the soul, which is to be ever joyful. Susukam, Krishna says in the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and what is, so, so we are cutting at our material existence when we're singing, when we're dancing, when we're chanting, when we're hearing about Krishna, and especially when we're taking prasadam. Not especially, but because that's the most pleasurable of all. <laughs> so it's a very joyful process. That's why Krishna says that in the Gita. Right. He said the other processes, they, they may work to some extent, but they don't get at the root. And therefore, klesho di katarastesham. Krishna says they're very difficult to, to achieve, to perform. So we're lucky. We have such a joyful process. It's easy on one sense. So we should take to the easy process and uh, perfect our lives. On that note, we will end for today. And uh, next week we will fin definitely finish this chapter, and we only have a few more verses to cover, and start chapter 28. Okay? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada.